out to the experience. But Jesus is explaining the importance. He points to the experience of Israel in the desert. So what was Israel's experience in the desert? It's going to be important, but we're going to find it's going to be our experience as well. It's an experience of already, but not yet. Because remember the Passover, what happens? We have, the, we have the, the angel of death passes over. We have the Passover lamb who is sacrificed, whose death saves the children of Israel from the death afflicting everyone else. And they cross the Red Sea into freedom. When they cross, and also they mention in Scripture that the next morning they saw the bodies wash up on the shore. Why? Because it was really a permanent freedom. They would never be slaves again. Otherwise, Pharaoh could have had boats. He could have gone around. The idea was it was forever. So they were free forever. The Passover lamb saved them from the angel of death, and they crossed by God's hand across the, across the, uh, across the Red Sea into their freedom. But the Passover was just a first step. God's promise was the land of Canaan. He swore to Abraham by himself, by his own name, he swore that Abraham and his descendants would possess the land, the land of Canaan. They were not in the land of Canaan. Between then, crossing the Red Sea in the land of Canaan would be 40 years in the desert. 40 long years, a whole generation. That, that's what it means, a generation. In that time, the time to grow up, to have a family, and to see your grandchildren. A generation. A full generation in the desert. So how does that apply to us as Christians? We have our Christian Passover is when Jesus died once and for all to save us from sin on the cross. And we cross the Red Sea in our baptism. In our baptism, we are freed from sin forever. Remember, Peter says on the day of Pentecost, be baptized and, you know, for the forgiveness of your sins. We are freed from the power of the enemy and sin forever. Freed from that burden. But God's promise to us is to live in his presence in resurrection bodies forever. We are not there. So we're in a period, just as the children of Israel, between freedom, we have been set free by our baptism, but we are not in the promised land. This is the Christian walk. This is our lifetime, now until our death. So it was a challenge in the interval for the children of Israel, we read about it today. A desert is not a hospitable place. How do you live? You need bread, you need water, you need food, and you need drink. How do you do these things? And we had the miracle we read about today, the manna in the wilderness. God gave them the bread from heaven we read about in the Psalms. The bread from heaven, which not only fed them and sustained them on that 40-year journey, but it was a foretaste of what would lay ahead. How do we know it was a foretaste? Remember what happens in Joshua chapter 5. I'm sure you, it's right on the tip of your, your tongue. Okay, but uh, you recall for the first time in Joshua chapter 5, the children of Israel crossed, like another Red Sea crossing, into the Promised Land. They crossed the Jordan. And that day, they run, go through a grain field and start eating some of the grains. And the scripture is careful to tell us they never ate manna again. Because they didn't eat. They were now in the promised land. They now were eating the, the fruit of the land itself. So the manna sustained them. It was a foretaste of that land. And the foretaste means you don't need the foretaste when you actually have the real thing in the end. Well, Jesus today compares himself to manna in John chapter 6, to the manna in the desert. But he says he's the true bread from heaven. He's our sustenance along that long journey we have, like the children of Israel that's called our lives. That long journey, Jesus himself is his food. He is the bread of life, he says. He's the food that will sustain us on that journey. And when we participate, like Paul says, participate in his body and blood, where we are is we're having a foretaste of eternal life.
That's what Eucharist is all about. It's food for the journey and a foretaste of eternal life. Now, Paul tells us that Eucharist is even more than that. In 1 Corinthians, he says that the cup of blessing that we bless is it not a participation in the blood of Christ. The bread that we break is not a participation in the body of Christ. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Let me say that again. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for, because we all partake of the one bread. It means that baptism makes us one body, but the Eucharist cements that body together. It draws us together and cements. The unity, we enter into that body at our baptism, but it is cemented in the Eucharist. Now, in the New Testament, we know that, um, what's the word for Christian? We don't use the word Christian. We mentioned other people called us Christians. You know, in Antioch, the, the people first called Christians. What are we called in the New Testament? We're called saints. Right? To the saints of God at Corinth, you know, to, you know we, we talk about the saints, tell all the other saints. Saints is from a Latin word, so it means the holy ones. We share Christ's righteousness, his holiness. We're the ones, holy, remember in the Old Testament, something set apart for God. Right, something holy to the Lord means set apart, it's only for God. It belongs to him, it has his seal of ownership upon it. Holy to the Lord. That's what we are, we are the saints of God. The term isn't used of dead people, right? It's used in the New Testament. Of us, all of us are saints. All of us have been washed in the blood of the Lamb are saints. Now, they also use the word saints, holy things, to describe the bread and wine at Eucharist. They were the holy things. Holy people and holy things. And in both Latin and Greek, it's interesting, when you say a communion, a participation, a communion of holy people and a communion in holy things are exactly the same expression. A communion of holy people, a communion in the holy things. Holy things for holy people. The gifts of God for the people of God. This is all that the doctrine of the communion of saints is. Remember, we proclaim it in the, in the creeds. It means that we, in baptism, are made one, and that is cemented when we, together in, when we partake together, holy people partaking of the holy things. We are cemented forever as one body. And why do we think of, the, of those that are the past in Christ? Because that, that, that bond is never broken. The bond continues forever. You know, we love that fact because we know every Eucharist is not an individual thing. This isn't our Eucharist. There's one Eucharist. And it's across time and across space. We're joining into the heavenly places. So when we are about to enter the Eucharist, one of the things we say, now joining together with the angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. All the, when we worshiped it, all those who've gone before, they're alive in the Lord. Remember the Sadducees? They're not dead. God's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. They all join with us. We, the saints here and the saints past, all join together in this place, across time and across in the one Eucharist, the heavenly, the heavenly Eucharist that we see in Scripture. That's what happens. Now, a classic question that um, my wife, from a, as a native of the South, I lived there 10 years, is you're not really surprised to have someone ask if you've been saved in the South. Uh, you know, people who are witnessing to the Lord, and you honor them, they're witnessing to the Lord. And I think the Christian response is threefold. Uh, yes, I have been saved in my baptism through the blood of Jesus. I'm being, I, I will be saved in the resurrection. 
You know, they use the future tense. We will be saved when the Lord Jesus comes for us to give us a resurrection. I have been saved, I will be saved, and I'm being saved. Because remember, Paul says, we are being transformed even now from glory to glory. 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I have been saved in my baptism. I'm being saved as God is transforming me in his spirit throughout this life, making more and more to the image of Christ. And I will be saved in his fullness when I'm at the resurrection of the dead in my resurrection body with Christ forever in the presence of God. So during this time, let's close with a heed the words that were given to the prophet Elijah. Words that the church has always understood symbolically of Eucharist. It's a type of Eucharist. Remember Elijah was all alone and he found that he was... He's often off, um, had escaped from Jezebel after the miracle at uh, Mount Carmel. And he wakes up, and there's uh, bread and there's water there waiting for him. He says, the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to the mountain of God. Amen. Now what we're about to do is to move to the creed. Let me explain to you a very important thing with the creed. We very much as Anglicans cherish, we are